welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, everyone. Buddy C. Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. Today, we have Amy and Marla and Chris and Dennis and Craig. Verse 80. Oh, before we talk about verse 80, let's make a couple of announcements. ZoomAAMeetings.com is a 9 p.m. Eastern open online meeting of AA every night of the week. <laughs> We've got several people here. Actually, more than 50% make regular appearances at ZoomAAMeetings.com. If you go to the um, AA Meeting Finder online and type in Fourth Dimensioners, that's us. I chair most Fridays. Amy chairs most Sundays. And then we're all peppered throughout the week at different times and places. So we're, we're there doing different things. Um, I want to mention BuddyC.org to you guys. That's what I'm using to promote the book that I wrote, which was my, my recovery interpretation of the Tao Te Ching. Now, you can go there. You can also start signing up for a daily Tao quote, which I'm starting to distribute. Uh, the link is up to where you can sign up now. It'll be a, a daily email with a quote. Uh, most will have a thought with it and then an affirmation to apply the quote. I'm getting those. I'm writing those now. Um, I'm not finished with all the editing and the formatting, so they look a little quirky at the moment. But I'll work through that in the next couple of months as I can. So, say that again. That was buddyc.org, right? Buddyc.org. I will have I will have a link in the uh, episode notes too for you guys listening. Uh, it'll just be a daily quote. So if this resonates with you. BuddyC.org, go there and look in the menu and you'll see an email sign up that's there. So uh, hopefully you can put that to use. And if this speaks to you, I know that'll speak to you. And that's free. It's free. Anything else, guys, we need to mention? Just the Facebook page. There's a Facebook page. There's a Facebook page as well. Um, I have a link for that as well in the episode notes. Uh, Dow of Our Understanding, I think, is the name of the page. That's one. It's the exact same logo as, as the podcast. So this month we've had Teresa, Frida, Sean, Roger, Kiri, and Corwin join the group. So welcome. It's good to have you. Thank you, Craig. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, we're just creating a community around, you know, and I finally realized how to relate the Dow to AA recovery, because people would ask us, what, what, what's that Dow? What's that all? What's it all about? You know, they would, well, that's here in, well, Georgia and Alabama. That's how they would ask. <laughs> and I finally realized, I said, turn to page 84 and 85 in the big book. That's what the Dow is. At the bottom of page 84, talking about the 10th step, it says, Love and tolerance of others is our code, and we have ceased fighting anything and anyone, even alcohol. 
By this time, sanity will have returned. We'll seldom be interested in liquor if tempted with recoils from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally. We find that this happened automatically. It's living in that automatic happenings. That's what this is about. Is learning how to just be. It says it just comes. That's a miracle of it. We're not fighting. We're not avoiding temptation. It's as though we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and secure. That can be with everything, not just alcohol or drugs or whatever you're, uh, uh, whatever you use to mask your fears, whatever that was. It's as if the problem's been removed. We were discussing that this morning. Marla, the the the, the morning. Everything, the morning that we're talking about it. Because, because uh, it was because we were talking about verse sixty nine, and yeah. part of that says there is no greater catastrophe catastrophe than underestimating the enemy. By underestimating the enemy, I most I almost lost what I value, and that was talking about complacency, and that led to the conversation about we've ceased fighting everything and everyone. I'm no yeah. longer putting myself out there to be attacked. And I'm not, not having to defend because I'm not I'm not fighting anything anymore. Well, you know, that's the beauty of it, Craig. We can be in this place of neutrality with everything. Mm-hmm. If we just if I just learn not to attempt to control, because my control doesn't change things, it just creates angst in me. Which then takes us to the, it takes us to the passage about the director. If if only everything would go the way that we want it to go. I'm not stepping on Amy's toes because Amy's Amy's the big book, the big book specialist here. Now, I don't know it word for word like Amy does, but you know, if only people would do, what I would tell them to do. They could be as mer- miserable as I am, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, they could know how I feel. Yes. Why I feel the way I feel, God damn it. Yes. You know, I'm the victim mm. here. And if they, if they don't do what I want them to do, they'll be as happy as my wife and kids because none of them listen. Yeah, you know, that's the whole the whole thing is we don't have to carry all of that anymore. And we have to surrender and let go of it if we don't want to carry it anymore. Can't have it both ways. I think it's as well as how long do you want to suffer? How long do you want to keep on suffering? Because the more you the more you keep hold of, the more you try to control, the longer you're going to suffer because it's just not going to work. Just let it go. How many people do you think know that they're actually suffering? The people lit, like think the way, you know, have weird-ass thought patterns, and it's just normal for them. You know, it's a normal way to be in the world, and they're not you know, aware enough to know that they're miserable. Mm-hmm. Our so alcoholic life, yeah, so, our alcoholic life seems the only normal one. Yeah, I mean, the alcoholics <laughs> I've met are the smartest people I've ever met, and I'm not no shit. That's not a bullshit. That's not a bullshit. <laughs> That's not a bullshit. I, you guys, they're, they're lucky too. <laughs> Aren't we all glad to be alcoholics? In a sense that I got into recovery, yes. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Think about this, Chris. Okay. Alcohol. Go with me on this. Alcohol made me surrender to a point in a different way. Like when I was numb and out of it, it's like the saying that 
Well, what is it that God looks out for somebody in drunks? What is it? Uh, is it children in drunks or whatever that quote? Amy's going to find it for us. Nothing, nothing tells the truth like drunk people, kids in yoga pants. Is that the? <laughs> that, that wasn't my quote, Craig. Fools looking. and drunks. Fools and right, drunks. Sorry, fools. Yeah. Well. And- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I've seen lots of bad yoga. I've seen lots of bad yoga pants. Oh, I can't get them out of my head right now, Craig. I wish you would have done that. Yes. This is the thing. Alcohol, we know alcohol is a substitute for God. That's that's the way I see it. It was a substitute surrender. And how many times did I stumble through when I was drunk and things just happened for me? It was God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself, even when I was drinking, right? So it was kind of a lesser, we we can live in an ease that's not an artificial ease, is what I'm saying. Granted, there were a lot of circumstances that were bad, and I'm not saying that, but there were times that things should have just went sideways time and time again. A lot of things I have no clue about that should have went sideways. I don't even know that didn't. And part of that, I think, was because we weren't concerned about it. We weren't trying to control it. There was an aspect of this that we walked in even when we were drinking. Yeah. Yeah. It's like looking at the promises and seeing how the majority of the night step promises alcohol did for us to a degree. Have you ever seen that, Chris? I'm Justin, my fan. What's that? Have you ever seen how the night step in the night step promises most of those or a lot of those alcohol did for you to a degree? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Right. Let's let's look at that right quick because Until I think it quit working. Right. Yeah, it quit working for sure. Yeah. Uh, but a it, new it freedom did, but and a new, yeah, a new freedom and a new happiness. Yeah, mm-hmm. alcohol did yeah. that for me for a while. Mm-hmm. We not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Yeah. Yeah. How about we all comprehend the word serenity and we'll know peace? That's the reason I drank was for that little bit of peace I got about 20 minutes in that I lost at about 35 minutes, 40 minutes. And then the rest of the time on that drunk, I was chasing that 15 minutes to get that back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're grinning, Marla. <laughs> yeah. What a cycle. I just remember that cycle. It's like, yeah. oh, I keep chasing this same high. I, I never got the first one again. Number one used to tell me, mm-hmm. she said, if I could take you right now when I was in that little 15 minute phase or 20 minutes or so, she said, if I could take and stop you right here, you would be perfect. Mm. <laughs> I was happy and everything was good. And there was, you know, I could still talk intelligent, intelligently, you know. <laughs> so that's the persistence of the illusion. Yes. Right? Yes, it is. It is. Uh, no matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. Oh, yeah. Oh, this one, too. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. Uh, 
Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. Amy, you got something? Yeah, you skipped right on over. We'll lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. How all of a sudden I was buying you drinks because I loved you so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was good at that fear of people and economic insecurity because alcohol was always a good loop for me to, to be social. I couldn't be social without it. And then I remember the financial insecurity. When I was sitting there looking at those bills, oh, man, how do I pay all these bills? I just had to hit that joint one time. I don't give a damn about those bills. <laughs> that was kind of how, <laughs> yeah, it, priority changed. <laughs> well, intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us all the time. Chris, did I you think, have to? <laughs> that I think it's more like avoiding the situations which used to baffle us. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But, but we had no way... No coping, or I did. Yeah. I didn't either, but definitely at this stage, after being, you know, tr- attempting recovery for this many years, I feel like I can um, handle situations that I wasn't able to m- either much quicker um, and re- just react a lot less with a lot less emotion and let it go much, just mm. be with it for, you know, what I need to be with it and then let it go much easier. These days, yeah. it's about, all about letting go, right, buddy? Don't surrender. Every bit of it is. Yep. Doing what we decided to do in the third step. Oh, you want to turn your will and your life over? Well, buckle up. <laughs> Things are going to turn upside down. Huh? That's it. Because how else do I learn, Chris, unless I'm put in situations where I have to? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the only way I learn is by things being difficult. I don't yeah. learn by things being easy. Whether the difficulty is just an internal difficulty of surrender or whether it's in outward circumstances. But I guarantee you, if inwardly I ignore that difficulty long enough, that difficulty is going to manifest itself out here into something physical that I've got to deal with. Because it starts as an internal we, and then we lose our peace, the second step. Then the unmanageability in the first step. Well, then we start seeing things out here that are different that we have to deal with when we could have stopped it way back there if we were able, when it was just a thought. We knew the whole time what we had to do. Yeah. We just, you know, we just wouldn't do it. Um, verse 80. Oh, any other comments before we go to verse 80? Good opening conversation, guys. And it goes along with verse 80, actually, which I think is all about contentment. It's all about being at peace. Yeah, I kind of read that in that, too. Yeah. Contentment and peace. Um, Amy, will you read the Stephen Mitchell version? And I'm, I'm going to put in the chat for everyone um, a link to these all these versions that we'll be reading today. And then also, oh, I forgot to mention with my book, if you can't afford a copy of it, go to the website, buddyc.org, send me an email, and I'll send you the PDF. So then you can have that too. Go ahead, Amy. All right. Verse 80, Stephen Mitchell. If a country is governed wisely, its inhabitants will be content. They enjoy the labor of their hands and don't waste time inventing labor-saving machines. 
Since they dearly love their homes, they aren't interested in travel. There may be a few wagons and boats, but these don't go anywhere. They may be, there may be an arsenal of weapons, but nobody ever uses them. People enjoy their food, take pleasure in being with their families, spend weekends working in their gardens, delight in the doings of the neighborhood. And even though the next country is so close that people can hear its roosters crowing and its dogs barking, they are content to die of old age without ever having gone to see it. Thank you, ma'am. Marla? All right. um, Verse 80, Ron Hogan translation. Lao Tzu had a dream about a small country with very few people. They didn't need machines to get their work done faster. They took their lives seriously and stayed close to home. They may have owned boats and carriages, but they never went anywhere. They may have owned weapons, but they kept those weapons locked up and securely hidden. They had so few responsibilities, they never had to make a to-do list to remember what had to be done. They enjoyed simple foods, dressed plainly, lived comfortably, and kept their traditions alive. And even though their neighbors were so close, they could hear the dogs barking at night, they had no interest in leaving their homes where they grew old peacefully and died. That that sounds like contentment to me. Yeah, me too. Me too. Dennis, about reading my uh, interpretation of that, please. Yes, but it's his interpretation. And actually, uh, the headline is true contentment. <laughs> or that. You may travel for pleasure, knowing no location in the world can bring lasting inner contentment. You may have large houses and beautiful cars, knowing possessions are only borrowed and do not have real value. You may have a successful career and a high salary, knowing real success is found within. You learn to live in the moment, knowing freedom from yourself is the only source of real contentment. This freedom is a result of loving others through living a surrendered life. Thank you, Dennis. I I thought about this, too, about what the personal application of this is, rather than, you know, thinking about it as a as a country and a government, all of our personal government. But you macro size it. Yes. Thank you. And I don't think in his in I don't think that they were talking about that people didn't travel because they were just homebodies. It's that. You know how we have a tendency sometimes to take trips thinking those trips are going to do more for us than what they really do. You know, like we're looking for something when we go, there's something to find, there's some contentment there, that kind of a thing that, that we're not, they weren't looking for contentment elsewhere. Mm-hmm. They they had what they needed, the kingdom of God's within, not out there somewhere you know that's what that's what i got about out of the whole thing the the money saving or the uh, machines for time saving um i'm thinking that's for me i I saw that more as just not satisfied with what they're doing they've always got to do more be more you know all of all of that idea you know that 
that it's never enough, that there's a better way, you know, all of those. And they didn't even try. Bigger is better. They were content with way, you know, everything. And I, I see like the arsenal as being my, the tools that I need, the tools I use to keep me stable and balanced. Uh-huh. And hopefully I don't need to use them often, but I know they're there. And they don't overuse them. You know, like it says that they, nobody ever used the arsenals. That One of the other translations says, even if they have weapons and shields, they will keep them out of sight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Craig? I can see a lot of second stage of life in this. Now, it's, it's somewhere that I'm not at yet because I'm still, still in my early 40s. Um, I can see a lot of settling down and not striving for so much material things anymore, just appreciating what we have and what we've got and um, more particularly when it was um, in the Ron Hogan translation, was, was talking about they've enjoyed simple foods, dress plainly, live comfortably, and they keep their traditions alive. Um, I see a lot of them not striving, just accepting things for how they are. And, um, we have what we have, and we have them for a reason. I don't need to go out and do the, the hustle and bustle of the rat race. and I can just live that content life. Do you think that's anything to do with the, the fact that it's towards the end of the Tao? Could be. Mm. 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 That's a great thought. Mm. Could be. Thank you, Craig. Anyone else? Well, it just listening to this, it really brings me into this moment. Right, all this is, is is actually achieved in this very moment right here. That's where I find the contentment. That's where I can, where I can uh, realize all these things, and where I can be surrendered. I, I cannot surrender into the future, <laughs> or in the future. I can, uh, I can sur- or the past. I guess being that is surrender into the future. I guess, but um, but it, it does bring me to this very moment. I really like that. That's 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 pretty much all I get. The, the, the basic I get out of it. Well, you know, you can only be content in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's, yeah. And then I really like what, what Marla was touching on, that I could see the, the arsenal for me for this drunk here being being all the alcohol and the drugs that I used to use to try to attain all these things that we're talking about here uh, for, for that brief moment we talked about, right, uh, to, to hit those 15 minutes of peace before I overshot it. And became oblivious. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's pretty much it. So, so this is good stuff. It really is. And the tra- it's funny when we say trail for pre- for pleasure. I, I totally get it. Uh, I've always been adventurous, but I think that if I go deep down inside, it was because I was not happy with who I was at that time. So I was seeking ge- geographically to. To, to seeking elsewhere. Now it's different. I still love to, to travel on that, but it's not to escape myself anymore. And uh, putting this in reverse, I know that uh, spiritual retreats are good for the purpose of breaking your thought pattern, that you don't go into that normal thought pattern that you have every Monday, I do this, Tuesday, I do that. And then you get out of that for a little bit just to break that down. So that can be healthy. 
with with traveling but uh, that's like the that, that's that's like your story that, that you told a few weeks ago about where the the, the gods hid man's ultimate power mm-hmm. and they were looking at places where to hide at the top of the mountain or down at the bottom of the sea and they finally decided to hide it inside of man because he would never think to look there mm-hmm. we're constantly on the search for something something yes. better than what we have rather than appreciating what we have yeah. Mm-hmm. Amy, what changes have you you've done a lot of traveling in sobriety? I know you take a trip every year somewhere, don't you? Yeah, I take a couple of trips every year. Um yeah, so <laughs> you know, I think um the first time I read this, I was like, What do you mean you don't travel for pleasure? What? Of course I do. What are you talking about? And then of course I, you know. Contempt for our investigation, right? I started thinking about it more. Um, I think now um, traveling for me is is more to enhance my experience while I'm here in this physical body, and to really appreciate. It really helps me to appreciate what my home has become since I got sober, um, because in my home now it's very calm and very peaceful and um you know we had some um there's some drama and some chaos going on with other family members and I was at a I was away this weekend with my daughter and um so my husband was here and the drama wasn't here but it was really close and he knows he knows that this is our safe haven do not bring it into our home now even though before we were the ones absolutely causing all the chaos and drama. Right. And then, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think um, one of the first lessons I really learned after I got sober was wherever I go, there I am. So if I'm going to be content in Iceland or Prague or, you know, Madrid or, Belize in March. I mean, I if I'm going to be content in any of those places, I have to be content inside first, um, which is pretty cool, you know, because it was it was very much seeking stuff outside of me to for that contentment right before sobriety. And now it's if the contentment if I'm good inside, then the outside kind of takes care of itself. And it reminds me of the. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. be added to you. Mm. The only way you can seek, turn that light around. Yeah. I'm, I still got to say I'm, I'm much like what is the poet from Denmark, Hans Christian Anderson, saying that to travel is to live. I still like that. But now I don't, like it says here, I don't need that to feel fully content. But I love seeing different cultures and meeting different people that I can't even communicate with and see how they're living. That fulfills my heart, seeing that, oh, I'm not that damn special. That's one thing. Uh, there was something else, but I totally lost it. Well, but Dennis, it's, it's different from going and enjoying something mm-hmm. and going thinking that's going to give you something that you don't already have. Yes, that is so true. There's actually this, I remember an old guy from recovery, he told me that, and he, he met up with this guy, and this guy, he was so discontent, and he was, 
he was always angry and saw the worst in people and all that. And he was he was saying, I, I had it. I got to move down to Florida. And this guy said, why are you moving down to Florida? Well, I just think people people around here, they're fucking they're, they're, they're assholes, man. I can't stand them. He said, well, people around here are assholes. Well, then if you move down to Florida, they'll be assholes too. <laughs> because it's just your perception. You can't change that by moving around and, and I think that's kind of... A big thing we think by changing that thing you can you can change your mind, right? Like on a geographical. Mm, yeah, geographically escape from your mind, which yeah. is pretty insane. Yeah, that's good. This uh, picture he's painted um, <clears throat> is very idyllic. I think in a way, um, it makes me think of of uh, romanticizing the way the indigenous people lived in this continent, perhaps. Um, um, And another thing related to that is, you know, I guess what I'm thinking is that, that they did live just contentedly within their own, within their own means. Um, The environment didn't suffer like it does with us, with people that are uh, running the country right now, anyway, or the, the global economy, I should say. <clears throat> um, and one, it brings also brings to mind one of the one thing that John Muir said that I really have always liked is uh, he said, "I don't like either the word hike or the thing. People ought to saunter in the mountains, not hike." Um, some people go go through the woods as though they're on a fitness adventure or something like that, rather than actually paying attention to what's around them. And I think that sort of that idea applies to all kinds of travel. You know, if you're if you're just getting off the bus and going doing a little shopping when you're traveling, that's not the same as um, a more immersive kind of travel where you really uh, get a a view of what's going on. I've been to Seattle twice and it was gl- glorious sun the whole time. But that's not the way Seattle is, right? <laughs> I got the wrong perception. Uh, I didn't stay there long enough or something, you know. So this uh, this verse really makes me think of those kinds of things. To saunter means to walk in a slow, relaxed manner without hurry or effort. Mm-hmm. What do you call that again? Slaunter? Saunter. Saunter, okay. Saunter, yeah. You have to walk fast to get to the top so you could sit and sit. <laughs> yeah. I've got to maintain my three mile an hour average, Marla. But it, it's it's so funny that you're mentioning that, Chris, because when we go to travel down to Miami to see my wife's family and that, it used to be so bad for me because my mind is set on the destination. So the 10-hour drive down there can be pretty horrific because I want to be somewhere else. Instead that I can actually learn to enjoy the ride wherever I'm going now, I can look out the window and see something uh, and and pay attention to the moment while I'm traveling instead of having that. And it's the same. I'm I'm totally the same. When I'm not running the mountain, which I've actually injured my knee or my my heel now, it's it's Um, more important to just walk around and then suck it all in. That is, yeah, that's good. Yeah. You know, when we're in the middle of that, we're really not in the moment either, like we were talking about. 
like you said, this really all this does come back to being in the moment because <clears throat> we can't get the satisfaction we're looking for unless we're in the moment. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I've been trying some trail running lately, and um, it's something I really enjoyed when I was uh, 25 or 30. <clears throat> but for me now, I've, I've fallen twice, and that's um, not a pleasant thing. And it's it's was in both cases because I wasn't in the moment. It's a lot more difficult for me to stay in the moment and not uh, not trip. <laughs> So it's it applies to either way you're doing it. If if you're there to run through the woods, you know, as a race, that's one thing, and you still have to stay in the moment. You don't have to. You don't want to be looking for deer. Well, unless they're right in your path, obviously. But you know, so this is staying in the moment apl- applies no matter what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, you know, if yeah. we want to experience God, so to speak, which would include the contentment, experience that kindness and love that we're looking for in everything, practicing this in all of our affairs, in other words. My my experience with running the trails, if I'm not staying in the moment, I will get into the moment when I fall. It happens for me every time I'm not thinking about that next step in front of me because of all the roots and the rocks and that there's... So, An hour and a half run takes a lot of concentration too. It just run out of steam. It takes a lot of energy. So you know, <laughs> you know what this whole verse kind of reminded me of was like the last year and a half when we were all, especially last year when we were all kind of forced. Well, not kind of. We were forced to stay at home. Yeah. And I, I didn't garden, but I certainly figured out what things I could do without, you know, Mm. certainly over the last year and a half, it's been a um, reducing um, extravagances, I guess, you know, it's, it's really getting down to the simplicities of what really is important and what isn't. Yeah. And for me, travel is important. So I'm super glad when I got to travel again, because that again, now it's a way to enhance my, my physical life here. Um, Have you added anything back into your life since we've came out of lockdown? Travel. Because, <laughs> apart from travel, because obviously yeah. now, now, now that we can do that, because yeah. what you're saying there is we've, because I personally, I I gave away part of my business. I, I just I just stopped doing so much of what I was doing, and I really have no inclination to go back to doing that amount that I was doing. Mm-hmm. Even even now, my, my my routine is I get up, go to work, come home, and that's it. I'm here with the family. I'm here doing what I need to do: sponsees, sponsor different meetings. That's really it. I've not added anything else back into the routine of anything that's going to distract me from being here and appreciating what I actually have. That was the biggest. That was the biggest lesson for me during the lockdown. We were. I, I was at the house for thirteen weeks, doing absolutely nothing at all, but you know, sitting around just enjoying myself and enjoying what I had. I've no. I've no inclination. I've no inclination to actually go out and do it. It's, it's not made me lazy. 
it's just made me want to come back and spend time with Callum. It's made me want to come back and make sure dinner's done. And that's good. It definitely made you know if you picked the right spouse there. There, I think there was a lot of divorces then through the pandemic. But there was something you said, Amy, that that I really dawned on. On when the pandemic ha- happened, you could really see how discontent people were. Because they couldn't just wait to go to Home Depot, either to get away from their spouse or just because they didn't like to be by themselves in the house. They needed to do something um, when, when, when you pull people out of their normal mind pattern. They just wanted to go to Home Depot, buy all these things to make new projects of the house so they could stay busy, Right. So people are still very afraid of of just sitting still and and pay attention to what what is actually going up in their mind. I think that's interesting. You know, in uh, in Zen Buddhism, well, Buddhism in its entirety, I think I, I can't speak for all Buddhism, but there's a practice of doing what you're doing and only doing that. Like if you're eating, you eat. If you're taking a drink of water, you take a drink of water. You don't watch TV while you're doing it. You do each thing and draw your attention to what you're doing. And there's an aspect of that in this, too. I've heard you mention that, Dennis, before. Yeah. You know, talking about, um, and that really is being where our feet are. Uh, the McDonald translation says, let people enjoy the simple technologies. Let them enjoy their food. Let them make their own clothes. Let them be content with their own homes and delight in the customs that they cherish. Not that you have to make your clothes to be happy. It's just your contentment is not found in those things. And as long as you're looking to those things to make you happy, it's not there. It's not there. It's a very good practice. And I usually said, I, I use, a, well, I got away from it, but I would say one day aside because I always fall out of it where I had to practice doing one thing at a time and stay present in the moment. If, if you think about it, when you go brush your teeth at night and, and when you brush your teeth in the morning, do you thinking, are you thinking about brushing your teeth? Are you thinking about the next step that what you're going to do or, or something else, right? Or driving, Dennis, when you're driving. Mm-hmm. This is one thing that meditation has helped me with so much is learning how to just sit. Just be for just a moment, not needing anything. Just be there. And if I can learn to do that when I'm sitting, sometimes I can do that when I'm eating. Sometimes I can do that right now in this meeting. Or I could be off in what we're going to talk about next, what's left. You know, I mean, I could be not in the moment right now if I wanted to be, you know. Um, in everything I'm doing, I could be somewhere else. What should you be doing when you're driving? Um, driving? Yeah, you shouldn't be. Yeah, you should be looking around for sure. Yes, don't close your eyes and meditate. No, no, yeah, don't close your eyes. But, but, um, saying, you can't Wait. stop the brain from thinking. You can't stop uh I mean, I find myself driving and then winding up in a different place from where I was actually headed because my yeah. autopilot is taking me someplace else. I sort of this like where I, I was going. Hmm? Yeah. Rather yeah. than when I'm meditating, 
if I'm having a problem, you know, with my thoughts taking me off somewhere, I I sometimes can use a breath and just focus on the breath for a little bit. In driving, what I do is I come back to where I am. Okay, my hands are on the steering wheel. You know, my legs are on the seat. How does the seat feel? What am I feeling right now? Just like I'm in a medit leading a meditation. What am I smelling? Hmm, is my body cold or is it warm? You know, and just start from here and just bring my attention back to the touch and smell of driving in that mm. moment. Mm. And just like I use breath and meditation, I just use what's there, bring bring myself back to the attention yes. of the moment. You can definitely use your vision too to bring mm. you in, and, and that's a good thing, I think. Mm. Yeah, it's not that you go off somewhere else or you don't think. See, that's the thing for me. I used to think meditation was about getting rid of all my thoughts and have no thoughts while I meditate. That's, for me, is impossible. But what I can do, the less I fixate on those thoughts, the less important they are, and all that other stuff becomes like mall music. You know, you're in the big store and the music's going. And most of the time, You don't sit there and fixate on the music. You go and do whatever you're doing, and the music plays, and it doesn't take your attention away. Thoughts can be that same way with practice, to where those thoughts you just—it's like you look through the thoughts, or you, you know, you you don't let them. They don't care, and if they carry you off, okay, well, you just come back to what you're doing. Okay, where am I? What am I doing? And just that practice of coming back, coming back, coming back. And one day you'll realize, wait a minute, I've been here this whole time. Why didn't my thoughts take carry me off? Because you would learn not to let them. That's what that would mean to me, Chris. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I was taught with, by meditation to uh, concentrate on my breathing. And whenever my a thought came into my head and I recognized that to start to think about my breathing again, you know, to not let any thought carry me away because usually they were troubles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the thoughts were the troubles I was trying to deal with. Sometimes you can note those thoughts. That's one practice where you label them. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a thought about this or that or whatever. A lot of times if you do that, then it makes it easier to let that thought go. Because the whole point is to not fight the thought, but to let it go and come back, you know, come back to your thinking and not let it carry off. And there's a lot of analogies of that, like clouds coming by or traffic. You know, you're sitting there looking across the highway, cars going by. You don't sit there and break your neck to look, try to look close at every car. You just kind of let them pass through without mm -hmm. them carrying you off. And if one does, you just come back to where you were. Mm -hmm. No big deal. And that's kind of seems to be the practice for me. And that just comes from sitting more. You know, I learned not to let cars take me away. You know, a real, a, a pretty Corvette, if I see a few of them, the next one, I'm not that concerned really about following it and it taking me off, you know, it's just a Corvette. Mm. 
Okay, so if I sit there for a while, it's it easier and easier not to let those thoughts take me away. You know, or those cars take, you know, the same kind of thing. That doesn't create a, a desire to have a Corvette after a no. while. You know, Solomon, but the only quote I have from Solomon, he said there's two things, you know, and this was the richest man in the world at the time, according to the stories. He was so wealthy that he piled the silver outside of the city and declared it worthless. So that's how wealthy he was. He said there's only two things in life that he sees that are not in vain. One's enjoying your meat and drink, enjoying what you're eating and drinking and all those things. And then two was enjoying the work of your hands. Both things being in the moment. Back to what we're talking about here, really. Good conversation today, guys. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I have um, I have something that a, a friend of mine sent me. And um, I don't know where it came from, but it's absolutely exactly on what we were talking about. And then I've got a... Of course, I've got a paragraph out of the big book. Don't worry. Um, and the people stayed home and read books and listened and rested and exercised and made art and played games and learned new ways of being and were still and listened more deeply. Some meditated, some prayed, some danced, some met their shadows. And the people began to think differently. And the people healed. And in the absence of people living in ignorant, dangerous, mindless, and heartless ways, the earth began to heal. And when the danger passed and the people joined together again, they grieved their losses and made new choices and dreamed new images and created new ways to live and heal the earth fully as they had been healed. Where was that from? On my phone. I don't know. I, a friend of mine sent it to me. I have no idea where it came from. <laughs> But I can send it to you. Okay. That and would be then, interesting. You could probably search those that words. Out. That's a good one. <laughs> what did you say? Everybody Google Amy's phone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the site. that. Uh, um, and then the um, as far as, you know, being where our feet are, on page 130 of the big book, it says, those of us who have spent much time in the world of spiritual make-believe have eventually seen the childishness of it. This dream world has been replaced by a great sense of purpose, accompanied by a growing consciousness of the power of God in our lives. We have come to believe he would like us to keep our heads in the cloud in the clouds with him, but that our feet ought to be firmly planted on earth. That is where our fellow travelers are, and that is where our work must be done. These are the realities for us. We have found nothing incompatible between a powerful spiritual experience and a life of sane and happy usefulness. Mm. <clears throat> yes thank you thank you mm. anything else guys that's good just uh oh okay so how do we find this contentment that we're looking for what do we do we by haven't being, offered by being discontent first isn't that the Taoist thing you can't find contentment without knowing discontent <laughs> well we come into this thing discontent right discontented right dennis or else we wouldn't be looking. Yes, yes. I mean, that's why we're all here somehow. We, we we were trying to find those 15 minutes, which turned into quite a few hours of of uh, of horror and despair, right? <laughs> that, that part that Amy was reading is called and, and People Stayed Home, a famine poem by Kathleen O'Meara. 
It was written in 1869. Oh. Wow. Okay. I knew I'd, I'd heard that before, because it did sound very similar to something somebody put up. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he related it to the last lockdown as well, and that the people stayed at home and they had to connect together. So that's, that's who it was. A Famine Poem by Kathleen O'Meara. So how, so Can you put that in the chat, please? It should be on our on our Facebook page. It will yeah, be. We'll on, yeah, Greg's putting it on the Facebook page for us. Good. Thank you, Greg. Okay, so guys, how, before we close, how do you learn to walk in this contentment? Well, we know being in the moment, the way I get to the moment is by showing someone love. That brings me to the moment, right? Because my fear takes me out. So it's about being in the moment. What practices do you guys have? For me, it would be this freedom is a result of loving others through living a surrendered life. That's it. That's it for me. Uh, There's also for me, if if besides that, I first now I've become, become a little better at reaching out and loving people. Uh, but paying attention to the task in hand, be where my, my, my hands are. Sometimes the distance is too far from my head to my feet. They always say, be where your feet are, but the distance is too long. Be where my hands are, so focus on what I'm doing. What you were saying, uh, doing one thing at a time is actually a very good practice of of, of enjoying one moment at a time. Mm. I've been trying to watch TV, Dennis, or a movie without my phone in my hand. Looking up things about the movie while I'm watching. Because I want to look up. The, oh, where is that at? Oh, I bet that's somewhere. Oh, you know, and I'm sitting there. And before I know it, I have no idea what's going on in the movie because I'm off somewhere on my. Oh, that's this person's daughter. I didn't realize, you know, all of this. I mean, I'm just off on all these characters and people. And You turn a dramatic uh, drama, dramatic romance or something into a lecture of life and you yeah. just, you, your mind is just conscious. Oh, I got to learn this. Yeah, I'm watching some action movie. I said, oh, who is that? Well, I wonder what else they've been in. And then I'll look up all the movies they've been in. And before I know it, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely not where my feet are mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. It brings me into the moment. Doesn't it bring you into the moment? Do what? Reading. Mm. It does for a little while. I'm, I'm, I don't like reading, Marley, even though I read a good bit. It's hard for me. I couldn't sit down and read a uh, a novel. I have to read. I read so much stuff that's related to spiritual things. that, And I have to do that in little bites. I can't sit down for hours and read. <laughs> of course, with Craig, we tried to read. What was that? The History of Chinese Philosophy? Some kind of great book. That was a great book. We need we to finish that. We need to finish that one off. History of Chinese philosophy. And there's only 400 pages. We got to about page 50, 60, and then we thought, right, so, so just, just, just quickly, um, it wasn't written in the 1800s. It was written in 2020 by Kitty O'Meara, who is an, uh, an American poet. Oh, really? So just, before, well, just, just, before people, just before people email us. A short history of Chinese philosophy is... I think your heads should be more square by now. <laughs> have, have, you ever, have, have you ever been in one of those uncomfortable situations, right, where you sat on, you sat on Skype and another person you're talking to falls asleep 
<laughs> What's the protocol for that? Do you wake them up or do you just quietly log out and just let them get on with it? Because that's what that's what I had to do with Buddy because I thought he's fell asleep. <laughs> Sorry. And she was like, Are you to be ready? My means first thing in the morning. My means so it's just like it's eight o'clock Buddy's time and now I thought, man, I've just put him back to sleep again. <laughs> it wasn't like what you were talking about was boring the shit out of Buddy, so you know. Or or the cloud of unknowing, that one pass on that one too. <laughs> because oh all the quotes you hear from the cloud of unknowing, it sounds like it's this wonderful thing, and they just pulled the good quotes out because you you're already hearing all the good stuff. So we we started reading that. So we started taking it in turns reading it, and it's it's all written as it's, it's it's like written years and years ago. It's like. Um, some 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 monks wrote it, and it was all he saideth thiseth unto himeth, and, and you're like, fuck it. <laughs> we, can, we, we got to, we got to this stage where we couldn't actually read it for laughing. <laughs> so Buddy downloaded it. For some, somehow Buddy has this 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 wealth of absolutely fucking useless books on his on Audible, and the Cloud of Unknown is one of them. <laughs> and we ended up listening to it as well. We just. Couldn't do anything with it. We just got to say, we're like, let's just, let's just give this one a miss as well. I've listened to it and got something out of the listening to it is real good because that intuitive knowledge is the cloud of unknowing. That's but it's, the just the, it's just the fact that the guy had that monotone and he wasn't saying anything really useful and nothing really else was coming out of it. And you're like... <laughs> We have taken a lot of paths today. Uh, anything else, guys? Yes, Chris. I, I just realized that one way to stay in the moment is to log on to this uh, Zoom meeting. <laughs> yeah. 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 If every you meeting, want to follow it, you got to stay in the moment, right? That's it. <laughs> yes. Every AA meeting, I pretty much can get focused too. Hmm. That's that's interesting. No, you 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 mentioned Dennis AA meetings. Working the steps really was the biggest thing that got my hindrances out of the way to where I could even realize there was a moment. Mm-hmm. I didn't even that's know there was true. a moment to aspire to. I mm-hmm. thought my life was normal, you know, and it was full of fear and anger and all the things that fear produces, all the resentments and the dishonesty and the selfishness, and that we could be free of. Yeah. So that's what brings the contentment for me is the results of doing the deal, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I heard, I heard just talking about the steps, I heard this week, and I, I wanted to mention this to Amy, I heard that the fourth step is the last time that we are allowed to take anyone's inventory. That's the last time we're allowed to do it. After that, it's all about our part and things. Because mm-hmm. when, when we're doing the fourth step, we're looking at how people have harmed us. True. That's mm. the that's the, that's the last time you're like to take. But is that in. really the purpose of the fourth step? Well, no, but that, no, no, but that's the last time you're actually allowed to do it, or the, the last uh, time that you're entitled to do it. Well, you know, we, we, we we are, are asking. Yeah, yeah we, we are asking. You know, who's who's harmed us and what have they done? You know, like, well, they've done this, that, and other, and yeah. then you then you're looking at your partner. It's like, well, yeah, but let's look at now. Let's look at your partner. Yeah. So that's. Yeah, huh. That is what we're saying, right? We keep only sweeping our side of the street, mm-hmm. even that it's more fun to sweep the other side of the street. 
<laughs> I remember the first time I sat down with a spot C that started going, I said, wait a minute. Oh, that's what you think people did to you. What was your part in that? Yeah. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Everything was what they did to me. Yeah. Same. You actually have to go through those four horrible columns and then you learn, oh, it's about working on me, these steps here. That's actually, and I, then I can dig deeper that, that we've been doing, but where you go in to see the patterns of, of the fear that, that has controlled us and all that, right? And then you learn that, oh, my God, it's not really anybody. Even somebody can shoot me and I can see, oh, what could I do different? I could maybe not be in the way of the bullet. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Find a different way to look at things mm-hmm. so that we can surrender. You know, that's what the, that fourth step is all about. It's like turning things inside out. Isn't it all better? I think it's all like looking at like this. I mean, one person could read this story we read and say, I want to travel. What are they talking about? That's BS. But that's not what it's talking about. It's like looking at the sculpture from a different view. You know? Yeah. I probably would have done that, buddy, if, if I read this 10 years ago. I would have read it not traveling, and I wouldn't have heard anything else. I would just have developed a resentment throughout that uh, mm-hmm. that line in the book. <laughs> <laughs> Now, right now, 10 years ago. I know I'm studying the death 10 years ago. In my- what was this verse all about? Contentment. Oh. Looking within for contentment. Yeah, being content where you are with what you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. Now I know why I live so close to my parents. Be home. Anything else, guys? We're all good? Good conversation today. Thank you. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.